First Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. I enjoy watching once in a while these informative videos called TED Talks. I'm not sure if you have seen those possibly. They're short little videos ranging from a couple minutes to maybe 15 minutes, and they bring in experts in all kinds of uh, fields of, of business to science to arts, politics. Um, some years ago, I watched a presentation from a woman who was studying and writing on uh, what was then a very new and kind of growing uh, system called collaborative consumption is what she called that. This, this idea that we, we are rapidly evolving in the way we share, the way we sell, the way we interact as consumers and as we, we uh, buy in a sort of a shared economy. Uh, this was due to uh, what was going on, vast convergence of several things like the, the upward trends of technology or accessibility technology to sort of downward trends of a, uh, an economy. And so we have a more of a sharing culture than ever before that bypasses what would be traditional ways. And this is like sort of commonplace now, like ride sharing. Um, I could taxi you somewhere if you wanted uh, to uh, services like Airbnb. Um, I just looked up that, the company's profit over the years. So in 2014, it was in a roughly a $400 million profit. Um, in 2022, $8.3 billion dollars. Um, so you could stay in, 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 in a home in almost any city in the world through Airbnb, a spare bedroom, or if you want a transformed Boeing 737 with a jacuzzi in it. I mean, you've got your pick. Um, but this isn't weird anymore that I would just stay in some stranger's home. Um, uh, and this is constantly evolving. It's always changing, and it's always accessible. This, this past week, I bought and sold several things. Facebook Marketplace, it was just like, this is what we do. Um, and I, as I ponder that, I think there's something there that, that can map and sort of connect over the kingdom of God and, and his redemptive priorities with his people. You think about it, just as sort of this convergence for God's people of some amazing things. One, it is the power of the gospel that, that reshapes how we live and what we, what we value and what we treasure uh, the reality of knowing that we, this isn't our permanent home, as we were thinking, even singing deeply about that this morning and praying, we have a coming kingdom with Jesus that will change everything. And so it changes how we live here and now. And then we are a people that are built by a shared culture too. Um, yet more powerfully, it's a community motivated by God's powerful, sacrificial love. So I engage my neighbor for their good and for their joy. It's a, it is a collaborative sharing and giving of what we have in Christ. And we share more than just things. We share our very, very lives. And it goes beyond me. I'm, I'm a steward of all that God gives me, not for my personal end or my gain, but for His. Uh, and, and Jesus and His work and, his re, and anything that I want as a return or gain isn't about just money or personal prestige, this all has eternal implications for us as God's people. And as well, and this is really not the case, this is not some new convergence of like modern things like technology or, or iPhones. This, this, this is something God has been doing, that He has planned, that has been taking place from the beginning, God's power through the gospel in the hearts of His people. And as we come to this, this small text this morning, I think our passage is going to draw our attention to these, these realities. Because we are God's people, 
And through Jesus, we, we become his people, his church, and we live in light of a future reality, a future day. And this changes our attitudes. This changes our actions for great kingdom purposes and reasons. And, and it's important that we consider those so that we can keep our priorities straight in those things. And so, I want us to come to this text today by the Lord's help, and so we can, with Jesus' help, calculate our priorities. We can, we can, it can help us analyze and focus in on our mission, Jesus' mission ultimately, to love people well, to serve others well as we await Jesus' return. So let's turn to chapter 4. We're going to be reading in verses 7 through 11 this morning, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Join me as we pray. Lord, we come this morning to your word and we, we want to hear from you. We, we want your word to come and, and have its intended effect on our thoughts, on our hearts, our attitudes, the, the, the shaping influences around us in, in our life right now. We, we want your word to have the, the better word. Um, and, and we need your spirit to, to, make that, to see that happen in us. And so would you come, Lord, today, and would you let us, as we start this sort of new ministry year, we, we, want, we want your help. We want your spirit to guide us. We want your gospel to be the thing that motivates and shapes us for the glory of God. And so would you come and do that in us and, and for your glory and for the good, good of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Well, as you have sort of heard this morning and we've been announcing and kind of communicating it, we come to a, to a new new ministry year. And it's a good time for us just to reset. It's a good time for us to refocus, to, to resupply our hearts with His grace and mission for us. Um, all of you parents trying to get all your kids back into school, you know, you had to like resupply all of your classrooms with all of those school supplies. And I, I walk in there and I say, this is no knock on the teachers, but I just, I see those stacks and stacks of pencils. I wonder like, what happens to those things? They just disappear into the desks like they, more pencils, more pencils. But they run out of pencils somehow. And like that, we, we start in a new year and we need to, we need like a resupplying of God's help and a refocus in that. And what is interesting in that is it's usually not new things we need, but as much as a refocus on the main things. We need to be kept, being, kept our heart, keep our hearts alive and refueled in the main things. And I, I think Peter draws our attention to some main things that we need our hearts to hear, to turn our hearts to 
to ask of our very hearts from this text of, of our church community, of us personally, do we have these priorities in place? And if not, how could we refocus attention to them? Are we about God's kingdom or, or earthly kingdoms? Am I loving God's people well? Is, is my life a shared life in the sense that I, what I have is available to the good of others and the gifts for others' good and joy? Or have we fallen victim to, to something else? Maybe a, a sleepy sort of disengagement or a selfish apathy or a distraction. Well, I think God's Word and His Spirit will help us sort of assess those things and guide us into some kingdom priorities, some, some responsibilities we each have to God and His, his people. Actions and attitudes and I'm going to distill down uh, these practical priorities that I think are in our text today in two headings that we would be a praying people and that we would be a loving people. So let's begin with this first one. We, we should be a praying people. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, this portion of verses come from uh, what Peter has been doing to encourage a church, churches, these believers, to remain faithful in the midst of suffering, certain persecutions, that they would remain faithful to Jesus, faithful to grow in holiness. He addresses his letter to those believers and he calls them elect exiles. They, they are God's chosen people and yet they're dispersed in, in what feels like a, uh, not a home. They're sojourners and exiles awaiting a better home, heaven with Jesus, but they need to remain faithful to growing in Jesus, faithful to serve and love like Jesus. And this is all connected to his returning. He wants them to be reminded, Jesus is a returning king. He will come and he will judge, and this requires readiness and action for his disciples. In chapter 1, he wrote this in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see that the echo here. Set your hope on his revealing, and let that revealing compel you to be sober-minded. We see the same words here. That's why he used that word, therefore. Therefore be self-controlled, or, or have sound judgment, which means to be of, of one's right mind. Literally, to be sane. Be sane and be sober-minded. I think these are synonymous terms and statements. Jesus' disciples are to be steady, right spiritually, and, and sane spiritually, to rightly engage the world around us, especially when things are full of chaos. When people are running around screaming, the, skies are, the sky is falling, Christians are to be the most sane people. In that moment, um, unfortunately, Christians can be the most wacko in those moments, engaged wrongly in end time stuff and doing very weird things. And yet, Peter is Peter's challenge and encouragement, and it should be for us when there is chaos and when the world and the enemy seeks to to numb us out with temptations towards sin and distractions. We must not lose our heads. We should be clear-headed. We should be sober-minded, sensible, rational, because we know God is sovereign. We know that God is in control. We know that his kingdom is going to have the last word in all of it. 
And so, considering that we are living in the last days, Jesus told his disciples that they were doing and that, and we are likewise. So we live in anticipation of our one day, a better home as sojourners, and yet it doesn't allow us to disengage in this life and in this world. Now, one commentator reminds us that the New Testament never permits believers to withdraw from the world because the end is near and to gaze at the skies, hoping that the Lord will return soon. The imminence of the end should function as a stimulus to action in this world. The knowledge that, be- that, our, that believers are sojourners and exiles whose time is short should galvanize them to make their lives count now. I love that. It should, it should galvanize us to, 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 to action. It should stimulate us into what we should be doing. Soberly looking ahead doesn't mean burying our heads in the sand or being indifferent. It is, it is a stimulus to action. It, 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 make, it realizes that it's time for us to make things count now. And with confidence in God, being ready to keep us active, we have a future hope. It's it's tethering us to Him. We, we don't go complacent, but we grow in holiness. We grow in suffering, being able to suffer well, and it moves us to being steady about the duties and priorities of kingdom people. Uh, my, my youngest recently learned to ride his bike without training wheels. He's the last one. I'm thankful that because my back hurts really bad when I have to do that. But it's always a fun moment with my kids. And like you're running, parents, you know that you're running behind them and you don't have your hand on the seat and they think you still are holding the seat. And then that moment when they realize you're, you, you've let go and you're not holding it, it's, it's amazing. But one of the key things knowing this, you know the drill if you're parenting, you've taught your kids, is, is you, have to, you have to tell your kid, do not look down and around. You need to look where you're going. But for some reason, it's like by default, they want to look at the handlebars, the wheel in the front, curbs, everything around. And I get it. Those are distractions. But unless you're looking ahead where you're going, you're looking at your tire, you're going to end up over the handlebars. Uh, so this reality, crash by looking around and being distracted or looking ahead and keeping our eyes fixed, there's a balance, there's a focus, there's a momentum. And I, and I think this is what Peter is helping us see. Keep your eyes fixed on what you should keep your eyes fixed on. Jesus. His return is coming, and we must keep our gaze on him and his kingdom for gospel priorities. And when we are steadied in that reality, we, the, the chaos of war and politics and stuff and money will not undo us. We, we are sober-minded, and he tells us, for the sake of your prayers. Or in other words, so that you can give yourself to prayer. The NIV says, so that you may pray effectively. Praying brings sanity to our hearts and our minds. It's a spiritual sanity. And notice how those work together. We, we, we stay self-controlled so we can give ourselves to prayer. And I, that praying enables us to preserve sanity in our lives. So in our praying, we're giving ourselves to our dependence on a good, wise, sovereign God. He's in control. And we're speaking out to him our worries and our fears and our needs. And he, he, and he hears them. And we pause and we're before him and we are hearing from him. And our sobriety and self-controlled mind and hearts aim us to turn attention to him and to things that are priorities for his kingdom. Off of ourself. 
off of useless wanderings. So prayer keeps our hearts and minds steady on Jesus, and in keeping our sanity, it fuels our faith for his mission, his glory, making disciples, loving others well. And that praying, that praying, that communion with God is what the overflow we need so that we can love well. Jesus tells his disciples, he warns them, in times are coming, stay awake at all times, praying that you can stand, praying that you can find strength. This is the word for us. So, church, as we move to a new year, our mission requires us that we be a praying people. We need to be praying individually. We need to pray together. We need to pray in groups. We need to pray as we gather. Can we commit to being a praying people? We pray for our hearts. We pray for each other. We pray for the lost around us. This keeps us tethered to Jesus. This keeps us sane. This, this keeps us growing in faith towards his mission. So we need to be a praying people. And what else does God's heaven-bound, mission-minded people need to keep doing? Another priority is that we keep loving. Look at verse 8. Above all, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love one another earnestly. So with eternity in view, keeping our heads about us, staying faithful in prayer, we keep loving above all. Above all. Keep loving our brothers and sisters and our neighbor. And he's going to talk about practically ways, practical ways we can do that in a moment. And this, again, is a theme Peter has been drawing attention to. Verse 122, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. 217, love the brotherhood. 38, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. These are Jesus' commands that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is his instruction that the world will know that we are his disciples because we love one another. The fulfillment of the entire law is keeping this one command, love your neighbor. The word here is the word agape. This is, this is a Christian love. It's, it's not a fleeting emotional love, but one that can be commanded because it's not rooted in the fickleness of each of our hearts, the rise and fall of our emotions, but it is, it is a love that makes a choice that leads to action that's fueled by God's work. And we are to love earnestly. Or, in other words, constantly. Don't give up on loving. We need to be hearing that. I need to hear that. Don't stop loving. We need to hear, keep on loving. And we can keep on loving because we know that this love animates not from something we can conjure up, but because it is a love that is birthed and fueled from the gospel of Jesus Christ. His enduring, steadfast love that he fills us with, uh, up with his spirit. And this kind of love, the gospel love, is a kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. What, what, is, what does this mean? Well, it's, it's likely a, a reference to Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Now, covers does not mean that our love atones for the sins of others. That, that's not possible. Only Jesus' work in the gospel can atone for sins. Yet, his love enables us to love in a way that forbears 
with people's weaknesses, that, that isn't a fault finder, that, that a love that bears all things and believes all things. This is a, a love that enables us to be long-suffering and patient, that isn't quick to offend but is quick to forgive. Covering points to forgiveness when wronged. We have been forgiven much and we've received mercy and grace again and again and again. Therefore, we can move towards one another in that same way. So in this way, it covers through the gospel. It works through the mess of life with one another. We, we though redeemed by the blood, our identity is in Christ and his righteousness, but we are a, a room, a church of sinners still. We will sin. And sinners in community, really close together, living it out, is messy. And not being surprised by that is really, really important. A, a very hard, a challenging, and I think a very wise quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I think what Bonhoeffer is saying is this, it means this, this dream, if, if it's some over-idealized thing, uh, some, some expectation held so high that we, we love that more than the reality of the, the messiness of the people that are right next to me and with me in community, which God has placed there, we will, we will be destructive towards community versus seeing the goodness and the glory that God has done. And he's intertwined our relationships purposely. We were called to love those individuals. Came across a Peanuts comic with Linus who said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. We're called to love. We're called to love. And we can love because we have the power of Jesus within us, to love those around us, which in turn creates true community. And we must attend to this priority. This is something that takes attention. It, it, it takes intentionality to love well. It, it takes the gospel to help us to love and to forbear and cover those sins of others, to forgive, to love well. Maybe what are your expectations this coming year? It, is it a dream that you have, or is there a reality that comes and is shaped by what Jesus wants? Maybe we're going into this new year, and, and maybe the question would be, is there anything just dangling, maybe left undealt with within your heart towards somebody in the community God has called you to love? A small offense or unforgiveness. Allow Jesus' love to, to compel you to make that right. Go to your sister, go to your brother, make that right through the love of God. I mean, can you see the train wreck that happens if we don't love earnestly above all? Well, we could go into a ministry year, I could come up here and lay out a bunch of new programs and new mission, missional goals, and if we're not loving earnestly, those are nothing, as Paul would say. We'll just be clanging cymbals. We need to love well. And Peter doesn't just leave us with a blanket love. He gives us two very concrete examples to love. Love in action. And he gives us two specifically through our hospitality and through the use of our gifts. Love with our home and love with our gifts. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now when we see this word hospitality, 
uh, we could tend to think, you know, Joanna Gaines, we got to just, you know, have, you know, the, uh, the most beautiful presentation in our home. We're juggling cleaning and guests and presentation and like food network, food uh, deliveries. And, and this is true. Some people are very gifted in that. But notice Peter brings attention to practicing hospitality before he gets to gifts. This is something that all believers are called to, gifting or not. But I think of our bad experiences, right? We, we, we know that there is a challenge with that. Uh, someone humorously put, fish and visitors smell after three days. There is, there's a reality. It's a, it's a challenge. But this is a command of God. Hospitality. Hospitality comes from the compound, a compound word, which is love and stranger and guest. Literally means to love the stranger. Loving strangers. So hospitality has its roots literally in, ha- in having love for the outsider, the, the stranger, welcoming them into our home. And at this point, there was, there was no Airbnbs to just sort of dish people off to, to welcome them into your home. You, you welcomed a stranger who was traveling who needed a place to stay. There's always been an inseparable link between hospitality and Christianity because hospitality flows from this extravagant love, which is a marker of the disciple, which opens their life and their heart to others. And this is why we see this New Testament command in several places to practice hospitality. Theologian Alexander Strzok, in a small book on this topic, he writes this. He says, I don't think most Christians today understand how essential hospitality is to fanning the flames of love and strengthening the Christian family. Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share in our most prized possessions. We share our family, our home, our finances, our food, our privacy, and time. Indeed, we share our very lives. Those are precious things. My family, my home, my finances, my food, my privacy, and my time. And to, to share those is, it can be a challenge. But we share our very lives in that. And in, when, when we do this, it fans into flames the love that we need as God's people. It's an expression of love, my shared life not as a consumer, but a giver. Notice how this flows from keep loving one another, one another earnestly. Practicing hospitality promotes opportunity for love to grow in my life. And it also is a conduit in which God uses to shake certain idols in my own heart. Of self, of my time, of my family. And strips me away from those, those things that maybe I cling to for comfort to make room for others and to love others well. Peter, in writing this, reminds them for the importance of mission. And, and I think this is important for us. They had these small churches. They gathered likely house to house for worship and fellowship. And it was essential for the health of the church to move forward in that. A little bit different day. Now we could come to a building and come in and out on a Sunday morning and never have to open our home to anybody I think the gospel mission is still just as much a priority that we would open our homes. For gospel community, 
that we're also inviting not only Christians into our home, but the lost into our house over a shared meal, accessing those very private places of our life. It's unsettling. This feels risky. I appreciate the honesty of Scripture. Notice what Peter says, without grumbling or without complaining. I mean, this is, this is just really getting to the really heart of the matter in our own hearts. We feel the rub, but we're inviting someone into our home, stranger or not. Could be very awkward. Could, what are we going to talk about? What am I going to cook? Where will we sit? What about the kids? Are they going to act like demons tonight or not? Um, what about those hideous stains in the carpet? I mean, the list could go on and on. We, we, we can make excuses, and they can begin to sound like complaints are why we should or should not do this. So we hear this encouragement from the Lord to love well without grumbling. And, and what we would hear here that would be resistance in 62 AD is very much an opportunity for our own resistance in 2023. This extends to us, and it could be a matter of our hearts. But it is essential to our mission, Cross of Grace, to the health of our community, and to our mission. And I understand there are seasons, right? Parenting burdens with babies, work demands, launching school. There, there, are, there are ebb and flows of our life when that's easy or not. But the, the question is for our hearts, is our heart open to that? An open heart will create an open table, and that open table will create opportunity for mission and community. So, just like hospitality was essential to their mission, it is essential to our mission to make and mature disciples. We know that. Our mission is not contained to this rented facility on a Sunday morning. We're thankful for this facility, but, but it extends into our fostering and encouragement that happens over tables and living rooms. I think this is what Peter is saying, your love will be expressed in your welcoming of people into your homes, into our homes, where we can love well, where we can love well. And so in hospitality, we welcome people into the grace of God so we can invite people into our homes and over a meal, we're really extending and enacting the reality of the grace of God. Undeserved mercy, the gospel of grace hoping that these people who may be strangers become friends in the gospel. So, each of us, as members of Cross of Grace, there's a priority that we would be connected to community, community life, community groups, discipleship groups where this can happen, and that each member, we take responsibility to open our homes for that mission. And that will look different for each of us, but our hearts would be open and ready for that. So, what will help us? The end is near. Future kingdom. God's love come to us in Christ. There's a future community awaiting us. And so just as much as we will one day gather around Jesus' table, we want to prepare by gathering around tables now. So we're loving with our homes. And then we see, verse 10, that we love through the faithful use of our gifts. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very grace. Each, each Christian, Scripture tells us, in the act of rebirth by the Spirit, our spiritual birth, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. And the Spirit uses, at times, natural talents or abilities that God 
has given us to redirect towards his kingdom purposes. Think about Paul, right? He was a great theologian prior. He became an amazing one just after his rebirth and used that for the glory of God. Or there's gifts that come to us in a supernatural way, and there is a variety. It is varying in his grace. But each believer has a gift. And each of us are called to steward and manage that gift for the good of others. Uh, literally, to, to serve is to, to minister. That's what that word means, to minister to one another. Not ultimately flowing through an elder or a pastor or a community group leader. It is each of us ministering to each other. We know the church is, a, is described as a body. Each part, hands and feet and eyes, everyone in each part is significant for the building up of God's body. Each joint supplying. Each part necessary to fulfill our mission. Each of you necessary. I've been watching a lot of soccer of late. It is soccer season, um, and I enjoy that. But it's one thing to watch a second grader and their team of second graders play soccer. I mean, it's just this blob that just sort of runs around the field, just kicking each other. And it's another thing to watch you know, like pros or high schoolers who know a little bit more about the game, and you've got your, your forwards and your your midfielders and your defenders. And when those positions are kept and they're stayed in their place and they know how to play those positions, the ball is moved, the, the ball is defended, and the goals are scored. But, it, but it, it's essential that those people know their position and they play their position. And I, I think we're helped here because Paul drives, or Peter drives attention to the fact that we need to, to know our position. Our, and he gives us these two very umbrella categories of verse 11. Whoever speaks, the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Speaking and serving. Now there are several gifts lists. You, you guys know these in, in Scripture and in Romans and Corinthians. Those lists in themselves aren't exhaustive. There are a variety of gifts, but we just have these two umbrella lists. Speaking, verbal gifts. So teaching or exhortation, prophecy. We could maybe see something like singing under these gifts. Verbal gifts that help strengthen Jesus' people. And we are told to use them as the one who speaks oracles of God. I mean, that, that seems pretty intense, the oracles of God. What does that mean? It's, it's likely a reference to the Old Testament prophets who would speak God's words, uh, meaning that the idea is that we're not speaking and just sharing good advice. We're not just trying to be like life coach gurus to one another, but we want to come with God's words. That's what we're offering one another, the gospel truth of his word to encourage and build up the body. So we hear oracles. It could seem like this, this elevated, spectacular event, but I think in one way it, 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 we shouldn't see it that way. It's God using gifts in everyday moments of our life. It's, it's oracles being spoken today, God's word being taught through our teachers to our kids. It's, it's someone sitting by another person's side who is hurting, listening, speaking truth and prayer to somebody who is weary. And yet, all of that is spectacular because you are being used by God to speak his words to encourage and give life to others. That's spectacular. Speaking and serving. These are gifts like administration and helps, mercy, giving, some of you would dread the idea of standing up and speaking a few sentences in front of others, but man, you love Excel spreadsheets and you flourish there, and that is God's gift of your serving. You love behind the scenes. You, someone needs help moving, you're, you're right there. 
You're jazzed when you hear of a financial need and you want to give. We should see these giving and speaking as as everyday moments, saints, that God is using us and wants to use us. Speaking and serving, pulling carts, bringing a meal, running slides, opening the Bible and helping to encourage others around the word. And as I was reflecting on this text this week, Crossways, I am am so encouraged that that you are Jesus' disciples and serving and speaking are, way, are things that I see all over this church. You are leaning in and laying hold of this call to love well. And notice that both of these speaking and serving, in reality, are, are serving gifts in that we're told to serve one another in verse 10. And for us to be effective, God knows we need his help to do this. So, this mission, faithfulness to this task, cannot come through our own human ingenuity or our own human power. We need His help. Manifold grace, strength given to us from Him. So, gifts given to us from Him, serving and speaking, they come from Him. And as we continue to serve, look at verse 11, we need to do that in the grace or the strength that He supplies. So, Come February, come March, we're coming out of the winter and we just feel in, we're feeling toast maybe in our serving. We need to remember, we cannot do this in our own strength. We need his strength to be faithful to his mission. With the end result in view, his glory, beginning to end, look at verse 11. This is sort of where there's this foundational, motivational truth that Peter draws our attention to, in order that all of this loving, all of this serving, all of this hospitality, that in everything, can we just say everything? Everything. In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So a key to employing, using our gifts, our serving, and our speaking is to do so with God's glory in view from the beginning all the way to the end. My loving pursuit of community makes much of Jesus Christ. My, my serving, my, my teaching, my loving, come along, somebody, along somebody's side is within view God's glory. This driving conviction, foundational to all and everything, God front and center will be what will motivate us, will be what will strengthen us. I love how even for Peter, it's like he breaks into this doxology, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. All of this, all these gospel priorities, his return and our, our actions and our attitudes, it's all going to crescendo in God being made much of and not us. And those sort of things help our hearts. Why don't I have an excuse to not practice hospitality? Well, it's not about me. It's God's glory that's in view. Those, those moments where I do feel thin on serving, I, I'm reminded, Lord, the strength that you supply, this isn't for me. This is for your glory and the good of others. God's glory is in view. And this is all through Jesus Christ. We we are a gospel-centered church. We are a gospel-centered people. And so this is all going to happen through Jesus Christ. His life and his death and his resurrection are the grounds by which we will do all ministry. 
So if you're a Christian, you have experienced the endless and glorious grace of God in Jesus Christ. You've encountered his self-denial who, who emptied himself to serve those he loves for their joy. And because he loved you and he loved me so well, and he has done all of this so that he could share and give of all he is, we can, we can let go of what we have and know that these gifts are from him. All I have is from him and for him. So cross of grace, we await our returning king, Jesus. He's, he's coming back. Um, I appreciated Josh's prayer this morning. He's reminding my own heart. We, this, is, this is a vapor, we have, and we have a returning king that is coming. And what we do right now um, has impact. And we are becoming a community now, as we love well, as we serve well, that community that one day will dwell in his kingdom, this this new city. Remember that that heaven is coming down. And all of our labors, all of our loving, all of our serving, all of our speaking are preparing us for Jesus' return, his future kingdom. And that's exciting. All of these are practicing what we are going to experience in its fullness one day when he comes back. So cross the grace, let us keep these gospel mission priorities in view this, this coming ministry year. Let us lean into him, that we'd be, a, we'd be a praying people. We would be a loving people. We would be a hospitable people. We would love with our home. We, we'd be a serving people, eager to love with our gifts, all for his glory, all for Jesus' renown. And we can do this all through the grace that he supplies in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do want to love well, and we want to do this so that in order that ev- in everything, God, you may be glorified through your Son, Jesus. Lord, to you belong all the glory and all the dominion, and you rule, and your, your king and your kingdom will come, and we will see the, the glory and the power of all of your kingdom one day. But now we, we see in part, we, we taste of that in part, and, and as we await that, Lord, we want to be busy and faithful to the things you've called us to, to commune with you, Lord, to, to be a praying people, to, to love others earnestly, um, to love one another well. And we need, your, we need your gospel power, your spirit's power to do that. And Lord, that, that will be effective as we open our homes. We, we, we let people into what would feel like unsafe places so we could love well. Because, Lord, there's a lonely, hurting world around us that needs to know your love, Lord. Let our homes be a place for that to be a reality. And, Lord, let us be eager to, to continue and in maybe new ways use our gifts, teaching and speaking and, and serving so that Lord, we would be strengthened and Jesus, you would be much, made much of. We need your help. We, we need your, your, your power to keep us focused on that, Lord, and we, we know you, you will. In your name we pray, amen.